Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? It is so good to be with you. Would you join me in welcoming our campuses that are watching all throughout New Jersey? We're so glad you guys are here with us. It is exciting as we are here in week three of our series, Soul Pathways. And, and you know, summer start, is starting to kind of, it's starting to actually get warm on a consistent basis. Uh, the kids are getting ready to get out of school. And, and as we're kind of getting ready to kind of switch gears a little bit, one of the things that can sometimes happen is we actually get to check out in our, out of a relationship with God. And really what we want to do is we want to make sure you still stay dialed in and connected to Him throughout the summer as seasons change throughout. And that's why we've been doing this series, Soul Pathways, to help you kind of connect. And maybe the past couple weeks you got one of these uh, pathway bookmarks to kind of outline the different uh, temperaments, different spiritual pathways that Pastor Tim's been talking about. Uh, last week he talked about the activist and the contemplative. And the activist is really about loving God through serving the poor and the oppressed. And, you know, they love to get out there, be with people, help people. That's one of the ways that they're wired. And the contemplative, which is loving God through silence and solitude, just kind of taking that time to be with God in the silence, connecting with him in those ways. And we're going to be looking at two new pathways. Uh, actually, before I talk about that, I want to let you know that if you're an activist, I want to tell you, we have our summer outreach coming. Who's excited about the summer outreach? Any of you? All right. If you're an activist, I know you are signed up, you're dialed in, you're bringing friends, you're ready to go, which is exciting. It's going to be a great time. And maybe you're here and you're not an activist, but let me, this is a great way for you to stretch your wings out, get your activist uh, a thing going for a little bit. And I'll tell you what, God is going to meet you in a unique way. I want to encourage you to get out serving your community. You can go out on the website or the Next Steps booth to let you know kind of what you need to do next uh, to kind of move in that direction. So today we're going to talk about two new pathways, which is the naturalist and the intellectual. Now the naturalist is all about loving God outdoors, not loving God in the nude. In case I was doing a little bit of research and I found some things I shouldn't have found that I cannot unsee. So the intellectual is all about loving God with your mind. How do you love God with your mind? And so usually you take a look at these pathways and you think, how can these things fit together? How do they work together? Because oftentimes, you know, for an intellectual, you love to read books. And, and it's all about kind of understanding and gaining more knowledge. And for a naturalist, you love to actually read nature. This is your textbook. This is how you see and appreciate and understand God. And oftentimes we can look at these things and see maybe they kind of clash, but actually I think they're better together. You know there's a lot of things that are better together, like chocolate and peanut butter. Who loves the Reese's peanut butter? Yeah, that's right. Name amen right there. The chocolate peanut butter cup. Better together. You got sweet chocolate. You got salty peanut butter. There is nothing better than a good peanut butter cup. Amen. All right, we're amening peanut butter cups. That was probably not the right place for that, but that's okay. But let me tell you, uh, one of the things that I, that one of these things when we talk about soul pathways, it's so helpful is to understand that there's not just one way to connect with God. There's many ways to God. In fact, God has created all of these different ways. Psalm 24 really kind of says this well, where it says this, uh, the, whatever you see in bold, you say this out loud with me, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So what well, that means, all truth is God's truth. Would you say that with me? All truth is God's truth. So if you're reading National Geographic 
and you're reading about tiger sharks in Hawaii and, and, and just their habits and things like that, you're exploring God's truth. That's, in a sense, worship. That's connecting with God. If you're studying quantum theory and you're learning how quarks and all these things work at, at that quantum level, you are learning how God has ordered the universe, and, and that's worship. That's connecting to God. If you love learning about astronomy and how the stars move and the planets and how they all kind of fit together, that's also studying God. All truth is God's truth. And that's what's so amazing as we kind of look at our different pathways, the ways that we've been wired, how God uses those things to draw us closer to him, to connect with him, to grow in that. Now, how many of you were able to take our soul pathways, um, the, the survey? Any of you take that survey to kind of figure out what your pathway is? Okay, a couple of you. A couple of you are going to do that soon. Awesome. Well, let me tell you, we actually have done this all throughout our campuses, so we can actually let you know the percentage of who's what. But first, how many of you are naturalists? Any naturalists in the house? Make some noise. Oh, you're all at the beach. Got it. Okay. So out of all of our campuses, here's the percentage of how many of you are naturalists. Ready? Drum roll, please. And it's 14%. 14% of you are we wish you were wearing flip-flops all the time, living at the beach. You're like, why are we indoors? You are a naturalist. Praise Jesus. How many of you are intellectuals? Any intellectuals in the house? My hand is going up. Okay, there's a couple of you. So when we do that, here's how many percentage of people are intellectuals throughout all of our campuses. You ready? Here it is. It's 13%. 13%, pretty close, are intellectuals. You love books pontificating the existential quandaries of reality. That is you. Um, if you're like, that's, I thought that was me, but okay, I just like to read books. Okay, that's fine too. But these are the kind of folks, you know, those are the folks that are here that you just, that was how you connect to God. And, and so now that we kind of get a sense of who's out there, let's actually start to dive in here and actually look at the naturalist. And, and, and really for, for this idea here, it's that nature is good but knowing God is better. Would you say this with me? Nature is good, but knowing God is better. See, the naturalist, Gary, uh, Gary Thomas, who wrote the book Sacred Pathways, talks about the naturalist as someone who just, you know, they'd much rather worship God in his cathedral that he made with his own hands. Nature. Rather than sitting in padded seats, indoors, with artificial lights, they'd rather be out in the sun, under the blue sky, enjoying all the nature, the sounds of birds and, and the wind blowing, all those things they would much rather, and that's where they sense God most powerfully, the naturalist. And, and it makes sense, right? Actually, when you read the scriptures, we see God encountering people more outdoors than we do inside, don't we? Think about it. Where did God meet Moses? Yeah, the mountain in a burning bush, right? Where did God, or where did Jesus confront Satan? That wasn't indoors. That was out in the desert, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's all these places where God encounters his people, and it's usually not indoors. It's usually outside. There's something about being outside that makes us more conducive and open to receiving and hearing from God. Amen? And I think the reason why we actually see it in Psalm 19. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 19. If it's on your phone, we're going to kind of walk through that a little bit. But Psalm 19, most of the Psalms are actually written by King David. Anyone know what King David did before he was writing Psalms? He was a shepherd, absolutely. He was a shepherd, so he spent large amount of times outside on hills watching sheep, sleeping out there with them. So he was what we call, he's a naturalist, right? He loves nature, connected with God with nature, and had a way of just taking those experiences and putting them into words that I think still speaks to us today. So it says this in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, what is it? Proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. 
there is speech or language where their voices are not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. See, for the naturalists, they can't help but see the common threads that flow through creation. They can't help but see how God is connected to the natural order. They can't help but see the hand of the creator in the midst of all things. They see the greatness of God, the diversity of God, God has made, but also they see the beauty of God. See, when we talk about the greatness of God, they see, see God in a bigger way. How many of you have ever heard of John Glenn? Any of you heard of John Glenn? John Glenn in 1962 was the first man to orbit the entire earth. He did such a good job orbiting the earth that when he turned 77, they sent him out again to, to go and see, go into outer space. So he goes to outer space at 77. He comes back and at a press conference, he says these words. He says, to look out at this kind of creation, to not believe in God is to me impossible. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I, I can't do it. How could you not look out there? It's like the heavens declare. It's like the skies proclaim. It's like everything is screaming out. There's a God. He's there. He, and I just want to connect with him, my soul, my heart, my body. How do you not see that? See, for a naturalist, it's so obvious. It, it's as obvious as breathing. It's as obvious as just the nose in your face that God is involved in the creative order. And when you look at a creation, it's hard to not see something like that. Have you ever seen the pictures from the Hubble telescope? Yeah, they're gorgeous, right? In fact, one of them is the Whirlpool Galaxy. The Whirlpool Galaxy, it is incredibly beautiful. And you look at this thing, and you see all the different nuances and the different sides of it that you're thinking, man, that is, that is absolutely beautiful. And, and for me, it kind of evokes the sense that, okay, God, you are so much bigger than I could ever imagine. And just like John Glenn, I'm like thinking, wow, how could there not be a God? How, how could there not you see, there's something or somewhere in creation that you go, you just can't help but experience the presence and the power of God. What is that place for you? What's that place that when you're there, you just can't help but thinking, man, the skies are just declaring, they're screaming, the heavens are proclaiming, I can see the handiwork and the fingerprints of God. In fact, why don't we do this right now, all campuses, I want you to do this with me. Just close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. But just close your eyes, and here's what I want us to do. I want us to just go ahead and imagine yourself in that place right now. Just close your eyes and imagine yourself there. So for me, that place was when we took a family trip to Clearwater, Florida. Blue topaz waters, crystal clear. And I remember when we drove in, the sun was setting. And you see the oranges and the yellows and the gold just shining on that crystal blue water. And you couldn't tell if it was day or night. It was just something completely otherworldly. And I remember wanting to get my camera and picking up the, the camera and putting it to my eye and just realizing that I could never capture all the detail, all the beauty, all the little pieces because there's just too many. And just really sensing God was there. And he was so much bigger, so much more grand, so much more beautiful than I could ever imagine. And I was just silent. There's no words that came to mind. There was, there was nothing I could say that could really communicate clearly what was all going on inside. Because day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, 
to display knowledge. You see what was happening? When we're in those moments, maybe for you, it's the Grand Canyon or it's those white beaches where you can see the horizon. But when we're in those moments where we are literally speechless, it's because God is speaking to us louder in ways that we can't even comprehend, in ways that we can't even articulate, in ways that we can't even categorize. But he speaks to us. It just pours forth. We know God in ways that maybe we can't even put the words or explain. We also see God's diversity through that. The greatness of God, just the diversity of what he's created. If you don't believe me, why don't you ever take a walk out in the woods or if you have the opportunity to take a walk in the rainforest. Look at the diverse plants and the diverse animals and the diverse uh, just environments that's all there. Or if you're a swimmer or a diver, if you ever take a dive and you see all the variety of fish and marine life, coral, reefs, and just the immense complexity all beneath the surfaces of the water. Or how about even the most barren areas of the world, whether it's a, a desert or a tundra that's just cold? It is barren, but it's beautiful. There's just something about the created order. We see all of this diversity, and we see how God has created the mechanisms that have created and sustained all of these things, and we can't help but live, look at all this and in, in some ways be in wonder and say, oh my gosh, how big, God, that you sustain this whole world. How, how amazing that you can maintain all of this. And yet in the midst of sustaining and maintaining this, God, I have to believe that you're also in the process of sustaining and maintaining me. I have to believe, God, that if you can sustain the created order, that you could probably sustain me when it's struggling with my finances, trying to pay my bills and try to make things happen. I, I got to believe, God, that you're taking care of me when I'm trying to find a spouse or a significant other. I got to believe, God, that you're taking care of me when I'm struggling with doubt and I don't really see how, how this end and this end all comes together in my life, but yet somehow you're weaving it together. And you see, often Jesus would do this, right? He would look at creation. And you'd point it right back to what God is doing in our own lives. He says this in Luke chapter 2. Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith. You see, Jesus pointed to creation and said, look how God has created and crafted the cosmos. He's creating and crafting your life as well. He has not left you. He is with you. There. And then how do we not look at the created order and see God's beauty? How, how do we not look at the diversity that's all around us and the greatness around us and not think, man, our God is so beautiful and just kind of live in that sense. I remember years ago, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine who lived out in Montana. And I was going, you know, you must love being outdoors. You must love hunting and fishing and hiking and skiing. Because this is like, this is God's country. You are like, you can do that everywhere. And I remember uh, he looked at me and goes, you know, I don't really like doing outdoor stuff. Okay, interesting. Yeah, you know, there's bugs outside. It's just not my thing. I'm thinking, why do you live in Montana then, right? It's like, you've got all this beauty. He's like, well, so here, here's the deal. There's something I love when I go to my window, look out my window, and I can see the Rocky Mountains up there. I can see the Rocky Mountains, and even though I would never climb them, I love being able to see them. Because it just reminds me of just how big God is. It just reminds me, you know, how small I am, how big he is, and even in his bigness and vastness and his beauty, he still cares about a wretch like me, right? 
That's kind of what he was telling me. And I remember thinking, you don't have to be an outdoorsman that can, uh, you know, survive, you know, in the woods to appreciate God's beauty and God's nature. You just simply need to appreciate beauty. I think all of us are wired in some way to do that. We can appreciate God's beauty when we look up at God's nature and go, wow. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. It speaks to me. I, I remember years ago, I was on a scuba diving trip, and I discovered I was seasick. So that was the first time. And so, like, I'm over on the side of the boat, you know, puking. And uh, as soon as I kind of finished that, I, I sat down just exhausted. Uh, but I actually was able to look at the horizon and start to see the sunset. It was beautiful. And there's something restorative about seeing that sun start to set in the horizon, just kind of lighting up the the water. I'm just like, you know what? As sick as I feel right now, there's nothing more beautiful and nowhere else I'd rather be than right here to capture this image because it's restorative and I can see God's beauty in the midst of it. And it's changing my life and it's changing right there. And again, it kind of brings me back to to Psalm 19, 3 to 4, where it says, There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, the words to the ends of the world. See, God speaks through his creation. And the naturalist, if you're a naturalist and you're, you're naturally wired, you can pick up on those messages. You can somehow see the threads and how God puts everything together and God speaks to you more clearly out in nature than sometimes he does here in the church, right? Sometimes you connect with God when you're taking a walk in nature than when you're hearing a sermon. And I know for some of you in this room, maybe you're in a season where you're really kind of struggling in your walk with God. You know, this, you know, you're having a hard time connecting with Scripture. Sermons are stale. Worship songs aren't connecting in the same way. And you're kind of wondering, am I losing my faith? Am I no, is God no longer uh, meeting me where I'm at? What is wrong? What happened with God? Where did I lose sight of God? And really the reality is you might just need to switch channels. Rather than doing what you've always been doing to connect with God, maybe you need to actually get out into nature and connect with Him in a new way, in a different way but still connect with him. I know that for me, I'm not naturally a naturalist, but at the same point, I hit these moments where I'm just feeling just dry. Maybe I'm emotionally drained and just, I just got nothing left to give. And so what I need more than anything else is to get out in nature. And when I do that, something happens. Like my mind starts to clear. I just get a better sense of who I am in Christ and what God is calling me to do and what he's telling me to do and where I'm supposed to go. And it just ends up being restorative. Let me show you what I mean. So it's 2003. I um, was a senior in college. I was taking about 19, 20 credits, just trying to get as much done as possible, trying to graduate. Uh, I was also a youth pastor part-time, and so I was uh, working a lot. And just got to a point where I was just done. I was done with school. I was done with... Um, people, I was done with work, deadlines, I was emotionally exhausted, I was kind of burnt out, and just really just was not doing well emotionally. And so uh, at this time, um, a friend of mine, his name's Greg, said, hey, you know what, Nathan, I think what you need is you need to be out in the wilderness. You need to be out in nature. And I'm just thinking, nature, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, there's just something powerful about meeting God. Uh, in the wilderness. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'll try anything. And so uh, we jump in his Jeep and we start driving to the Adirondacks. He helps me set up my tent and he says, all right, Nathan, I'll see you later. Are you nuts? I've never camped before. I've never been outside. You know, what, what, what do I do for food? He's like, ah, you'll be fine. I'll come get you in the morning. Just be careful. There are bears. So you don't want to, you know, provoke them. And I was like, great. Finally, I start to calm down a little bit. I start to realize that, you know what, Maybe God does have something for me here. And so I just start praying out loud, Jesus, what is it you want to say to me? 
God, how, how do you want to restore me? I just started to look at the trees and to look at nature that was around me and I just noticed just how, how, how great the creation was, how big it was. And I looked out at the lake and the lake looked so calm, so placid, it's like glass. I just remember saying, God, I want my soul to, to feel that way. I, I, in the midst of the craziness of my life, I want to feel, feel like that. And God, if you can take care of all of creation, if you can uh, create all this diversity, and if you can magnify all this beauty, then you know what? I got to believe you're going to take care of me. And now whenever I feel stressed or burnt out or far or just, just emotionally exhausted, I grab my journal and I head to the woods because there's just nothing better than being out in God's creation. Nature is good, but knowing God is better. Nature is good, but knowing God is better because nature really shows us what God is doing. It points us directly to the Creator. Now, with any of these pathways, there's always dangers and ditches we got to be careful of getting into. And the same thing is true for the naturalist. There's two dangers, specifically. There's escapism and pantheism. Escapism is when we say, you know what, I'm just so sick of people that I am just going to escape in the woods, live like Survivor Man, and just kind of completely cut off people completely, right? And it's, it can happen easily. We'd rather just kind of keep to ourselves rather than deal with what's going on in the world. But when you look at the model of Jesus, Jesus, when he would escape to nature, it would be restorative. He would restore his soul, restore his heart, restore his spirit. And once he was restored, he would go back and serve people. He would go back and love people. He would go back and reach out to, to the broken and the poor and the oppressed once he had had that time of restoration. We can't simply, we're not made to escape. We're made actually to love the world just as Jesus loved the world. And then there's pantheism. And pantheism is really this false belief that nature and God are the same thing. Creator and creation, there's no distinction. They're one and the same. Now, we, we all know that creation's powerful, right? There is a, definitely a powerful sense there. But we can't confuse that power as in something that comes out of the created order, but rather it's something that's supposed to lead us to the creator himself. In fact, Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, uh, really kind of says this well in Romans 1 where he says this. For since the creation of the world, God's what? Invisible qualities have his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been what made so that men are without excuse so paul here is basically saying this there is creator and there is creation there is distinction between the two and they're not to be confused when we uh, when we understand that creation is something that helps us worship the creator then there's nothing better to amplify our connection to god than that in fact, if you got one of these bookmarks a couple weeks ago, I want to show you a couple ways that are already written in here that you can enhance that connection to the Creator through His creation. First one we kind of talked about before is to simply take a walk in the woods. Go on a walk, be with Jesus, say, Lord, what do you want to say to me right now? What do you want to speak to me? Keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and you'll start to sense and hear what God is saying in the midst of His creation. Another thing is to pray on the beach. You know, this is Jersey. Many of us will be at the Jersey Shore this summer, right? And, and there's nothing better than when we're on vacation trying to unplug that we can actually plug right into the ultimate power search, which is in Christ. So next time you go to the beach, bring your Bible. Maybe you should go up there a little bit earlier at sunrise. As, as the sun rises, you've got your Bible and you're reading it and you're connecting with God in really clear and distinct ways by doing that. But there's also a way of connecting with God through reading of the Psalms. 
The Psalms is one is God's songbook, Jesus' songbook. And in the Psalms, there's actually Psalms of creation. Psalms are focused specifically on you connecting to the Creator through creation. Psalm 19 that we're looking at today does that. Psalm 8 is also another great resource for that, as well as Psalm 104. These Psalms, by the way, they're in your notes if you want to take a look at them. But these Psalms can help you connect to the Creator. What, What I love about reading these Psalms is as you're reading these Psalms, literally, you're seeing those things unfold all around you if you're reading them outside in the creation. And you're going, wow, I'm not just reading this. I'm seeing this happen. I'm seeing the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. I'm seeing them proclaim his handiwork through how he is. It's amazing when we can start to kind of have that view. Because the way I look at nature is nature, the, nat- the naturalist perspective is like the telescope, while the intellectual is more like the microscope. For the intellectual, they, or the, the naturalist, they have that big, wide view. They look at all the created order, and they see God in that. And they're like, wow, look how transcendent and big God is. But then for the intellectual, the microscope, they love to kind of look at the ideas and all the pieces and how they all fit together, the details. And they say, wow, look how amazing God is. Look at all these ideas. Look at all these thoughts about how deep and how wide and how powerful God is. And they don't compete with one another. In fact, they help us see different sides of the same thing, which is God. We see the bigness of God but also the intricacies and the details of God. We can see how great and how big and how vast it is, but yet how God is there detailed into the details, making things happen in our lives and even in nature. Through, through the big end, we can see how holy God is and how big he is, but here we can see that he's also a friend of sinners, and he's come down close to us. Here we see that God's ways are higher than our ways, and, and his mind is higher than our mind, but he comes in the person of Jesus to explain his ways and to show us how to live for him. And so wherever you are this summer, whatever it is, however you're wired, I want to encourage you to not neglect your intellect. Don't neglect your intellect. Why don't you say this with me? Don't neglect your intellect. Tell the person next to you, don't neglect your intellect. And you tell them back, I won't. (laughs) So here's the thing is, you know, we can start, um, you know, thinking that, you know, maybe these two don't really fit together. But, you know, there's a group of uh, theologians, these are men and women that uh, study God's word, that, that believe there's one thing that we call general revelation. General revelation is really, again, reading the book of nature, kind of understanding how God works through nature. But then there's another form of revelation called special revelation. And that's the story of God through Jesus. And, and that's how these two kind of fit together. It goes from general to specific. The, the general revelation is look at the created order. It points to God. The specific revelation is that the divine came down to earth in the person of Jesus, died on a cross, essentially died on a tree so that we could have salvation, so that we had a relationship with God. And, and it was, it's not only a resurrection for us, but in, t- in fact, it's restoration for the entire created order. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. And what's so amazing is Psalm 19 naturally goes into this bigger view to this more specific view of how do we engage uh, God's word through our intellect. It says this in verse 4, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You see, intellectuals love to engage God with their mind. Amen. They love kind of looking and learning new things and, and seeing all the different things that the scriptures can teach that's going to add value to their relationship with God, help them grow deeper, and, and help them kind of go to the next level. So again, it doesn't matter what your pathway is. I just want to encourage you. Don't neglect your intellect. 
because it has a way of helping you connect with God through discovery and exploration. In fact, intellectuals love to discover or to explore just what God's word says and how it connects with them. I love what it says in verse 19, in chapter 19, verse 7 of the psalm we were looking at, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The law of the Lord here really is talking about the scriptures. And it says it's perfect. And really this idea of perfect means it's, it's complete. It actually has everything it need, you need in there to guide you through life, but also warn you of things you might want to avoid, you know, like icebergs and things like that. And that's what's so amazing is for the intellectual, they love to kind of plumb the depths of God's word and look at all the different pieces of how it all fits together, whether it's the Greek, the Hebrew, the commentators and scholars, all this stuff. They nerd out on this and, and they come up with all these great insights that actually can end up guiding us into a deeper life, into the way God has called us to be, but also show us, okay, there's some things we need to avoid so that we can live the life that God has called us to do. And not only do they love to explore, but they love to discover. What is it that's something new, God, that you want to teach me? What's some new knowledge that you can give me that I can kind of grow, take my faith to the next level to go deeper? And it says in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Meaning this, God, I love your word. I love learning because it just makes me joyful. It just brings this joy, this energy, it livens me, some things like that. And the commands of the Lord are radiant. Commands here, the, the word in Hebrew here is actually judgments. It's like, oh God, I just love to see how you've made these decisions. And when I look at your word, I see how everything comes together. I see the big picture. I see the details of how it all fits together, God. And I can't help but worship you. Now some of you in here, you're not intellectuals. And so you're not really nerding out. That's okay. God still loves you. But here's the thing. You know, I'm, I know you're probably thinking this, you know, Nathan, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm, I just don't think like that, you know, uh, that's great for you, but you start talking about statutes and precepts, and I'm like, dude, I'm not a lawyer, I don't get this stuff, you know, I'm not a brain on a stick, and, and I get that, but listen, God has given all of us minds, amen? Okay, some of us, he's given all of us minds, okay? <laughs> He has. He's given us these minds to think, and and we don't need to be an Einstein, but whatever capacity he's given us, he wants to stretch us to those capacities. Because it's not just so that we can be smarter, but rather so that we can be a blessing to the broken world all around us. And I saw this uh, specifically a few years ago. Uh, How many of you have ever heard of InterVarsity? Any of you? Okay, there's a couple of you out there. So InterVarsity is this Christian campus ministry. They go and reach out to college students, try to help them kind of uh, start a relationship with Jesus. And so a couple years ago, my friend invited me to go to one of these InterVarsity events. And they actually had teamed up with the Philosophy Club to do this InterVarsity event. And, and they're going to look at the question, who is God? And, and I'm thinking, this is awesome. I'm going to, this is going to be great. So I go there, and everything is, and everyone's like kind of in a big circle here. Like they've got chairs, like a classroom with like, you know, those, you know, those half desk, half chair things. I don't know what they are, like centaur chairs, whatever they are. So they're, they're in a, in a circle, and they're sitting there, and you can definitely tell who the Christians were and who the philosophy majors were. So the Christians are all sitting there, and they've got big Bibles on their laps, and they're ready for a fight. I'm going, whoa, these guys are serious, right? And the philosophy majors, they're like wearing berets, like black-rimmed glasses. They're high or something. I don't know what was going on with them. And so they're like facing off. And, you know, so I was a philosophy major in undergrad. And, you know, I'm studying to be a pastor. It's like, I don't know where 
I should sit, you know. So I, I'm, I'm trying to find a seat somewhere. So I finally sit down, you know, I found a seat right by where the food is because that seemed like a spiritual place. And so this conversation is going and it's getting heated. Let me tell you, I was in nerd heaven. It was great, you know. So we're talking about this stuff. And so, you know, I'm talking about, you know, throwing out like Derrida and Foucault and Nietzsche and, and Kierkegaard and how their ideas kind of come together with the scriptures. I, like, I'm, I'm like nerding out with my geek out. It's great. So, so we're going into all these things. And then I, I notice that the Christians are all giving me dirty looks. I'm like, what's going on? And so it turned out the Christians were mad at me because I wasn't talking about the Bible enough. I was talking all about philosophy. Because, and the philosophy majors just were kind of like going, why is he talking? You know, like, or it was more like, who is this guy? Because I didn't go to their school. And so, you know, after this whole thing was going on, after it ended, one of the guys that was a philosophy major came up to me and said, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you're here because you're the first Christian I met that actually thinks. I was like, okay, what, what do you mean by that? Well, most Christians, you know, when I ask them questions— Rather than answering my question, they have like this, this pre-made answer that they give me. And every time I push back on it, they just, they just get more defensive and they get riled up and they get angry. But I just felt like we had a discussion, we had a conversation, we probably won't agree. But I'm telling you, if, if, if Christianity looks like that, where it embraces uh, mystery and paradox and, and doubt, I could follow that. That's the kind of faith I could follow. And I remember, you know, my, my takeaway from that was, is that oftentimes, us at the church, we're kind of looked at by the world as anti-intellectual. We kind of come across as we're, you know, people know us more for what we're against than what we're for. And I've actually been in places where people tell me, all right, when you go to church, here, you leave your brain here, and uh, just, you know, the pastor's going to tell you what you need to know in the Bible. He's going to give you all that stuff. Don't worry about the other stuff. Just, just, just leave your brain out here. You can pick it up on your way out. And let me tell you something. I am so glad that Liquid is not that church. We don't do that. We want you to ask hard questions. We want you to, to go for it because we believe that when you have all your doubts out and you're asking your questions, that's how you're going to grow the most in your faith. And not only that, there is a rich tradition in the church that we have been able to contribute to um, politics and to society and to academia that goes way all the way up to the beginning of Christianity. In fact, uh, Thomas Aquinas, I don't know if any of you heard of him, but he was one of the first doctors of the church. In fact, he took Aristotle, you know, the philosopher Aristotle, and actually was able to kind of uh, Christianize Aristotle so that we can use it for today. He's written on politics, he's written on society, he's written on culture, and even to this day, his book Summa Theologica is still used and seen as a, as a kind of like a foundation stone in a academia. And another guy named C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, maybe you've heard of him. He wrote the books The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's written Mere Christianity. I just found out this week he was a secret agent, by the way, which is awesome, right? But he taught at Oxford. He was a former atheist and became a Christian and really kind of showed you how you live out your faith in academia and really contributed in huge ways there. And again, one of my favorite guys is a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Ravi is a Christian thinker. He's an apologist. Um, and he has a way of articulating things in ways that are clear and concise that have been super helpful in, for me in understanding my faith. But when I look at these three men and these different time eras, what it communicates to me is the church has a lot to offer intellectually. You know, we're, it's true, we're not brains on the sticks, but we still have brains that God has called us to use. God hasn't called us to, to take our minds and just check them out the door, but to actually bring them with us in church, to ask questions, to think critically, to use reason and logic. Because I tell you what, the world out there, they want us to engage intellectually. 
They want us to stop being reactive and defensive, but actually take seriously some of those questions. In fact, I want to give you a resource if you've got friends like that who you want to engage with maybe a little bit more intellectually uh, with some of the things that are happening in culture. It's by Gabe Lyons and David Kinneman. It's called Good Faith. It's a new book, but I love the subtitle, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme. And, you know, we, we, you know, as we're coming off some of the stuff that happened in Orlando, there's people that have lots of questions about God, about society, about spirituality. And sometimes those conversations get toxic. Sometimes those conversations get more heated, and we see more smoke than light. And so this is a great way to kind of, okay, how do we navigate, how do we have some of those conversations? How do we be a source of light? How do we love God with our minds, but also show the world that we want to engage them with their minds and not just simply kind of throw out kind of spoon-fed answers, but really engage them with the questions where they're at. And if you're in a place where you're thinking, you know what, I think that's the pathway I really want to develop in my life. I want to encourage you, if you look on your, your card here, uh, if you have one of these, I want to give you kind of three ways that you can kind of grow in that area. The first is read a classic work of Christian theology. Read a classic work of Christian theology. Here I'm highlighting C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. In fact, today, if you go to like any like atheist forum on Reddit or things like that, they're still engaging with C.S. Lewis's arguments. They think he's probably the best Christian apologist or defender of the faith that's there. And he's writing in the 30s and the 40s. And Mere Christianity, again, tells you really, how do you live out, um, how do you have a faith that's not just heart, I mean, it's got to be heart, but it's also mind and intellectual as well. Another guy who I really like is Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard has written a book called uh, the Divine Conspiracy. He was actually a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Um, has a lot to say, really great, about how do you live the mind, how, how do you live through the mind as well as the heart and the soul? How do you kind of bring all of those things together? Another thing on your card is to listen to a lecture on apologetics or Christian philosophy or even systematic theology. Um, one recommendation I want to give you is Ravi Zacharias. He's got a great podcast called Let My People Think. Um, he's concise. He's, he's got a great way of kind of looking at the world. He's Indian, so you know he's really smart. So it's true. I don't, I don't know. I got an amen here. So uh, all right, look at that. Yes. I'll find out later if that was culturally insensitive or not, but you know. But you know, that's a great place to start if you want to kind of listen, if you're more of a listener rather than the kind of a reader. And finally, if you're like, you know, I really want to go deeper, I want to go to the next level. Uh, if you want to take some online courses, that's a great way to really kind of get to the next level. I know that uh, Alliance Theological Seminary, that's where I went to school, they offer online courses. You can find it uh, anywhere online, but you know, I'm more biased to them. I went there. But you know, if you want to kind of get to that next level, get into Greek and Hebrew and cultural analysis and all that stuff, that's phenomenal. I encourage you to do that if that's how you're wired. Because as Christians, we have intellectual contributions that we can make to the world around us. In fact, in Acts 17, there was a group of believers who were called the most noble because they were able to use their minds when they were assessing situations. They were called the Bereans. Now, the Bereans, uh, Paul and Silas, they were, again, they were the missionaries in the early church. Uh, they called the Bereans the most noble of people because they, they simply tested everything. In fact, in Acts 17, it says this, For they received the message with great eagerness and what? examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. So essentially they did this. They took the scriptures and they took culture. They put them side by side and said, all right, what's true and what isn't true? What's right and what's wrong? What do we keep and what do we throw away? And that's a great example for us as modern Christians is what do we keep in the world that we're living? What do we keep intellectually and what do we throw out? What's not going to be good for our souls? What's not going to be good for our hearts? 
And you know what I love? You know, we look at these pathways and we go, how do they really fit together? How does, how does the general revelation fit with the specific? How does the natural and the intellectual come together? And we see this great smash up of this in the scriptures in the life of a man named Solomon. Who remembers Solomon? Yeah, we talked about Solomon. We did the series called Words to the Wise, which is the Proverbs of Solomon. He's the wisest man in the world. And in fact, Solomon has an obituary in the book of Kings. And it's really fascinating how we see both these pathways come together through his life in the book of Kings. Let's look at this. It says this. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. So he's prolific. He's, he's got all this stuff. But not only that, he described plant life, from cedars of Lebanon to the high that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles, and fish. So Solomon, the wisest man in the world, was a biologist. Isn't that interesting? The wisest man in the world wrote the Proverbs, which was this intellectual pursuit, but then he was also nerding out on nature. He was writing lectures. People were coming from all over the world to hear Solomon talk about plants and, and animals. See, here's a, a guy who doesn't just have one pathway. He's got a couple. And they all come together in the same way. We can't just have one pathway. In fact, I like to look at these different pathways on your card, uh, not, not as simply separate ones, but imagine these as ingredients in salsa. Who likes salsa? Anyone like salsa in here? Okay, five of you like salsa. That's great. But imagine, you know, you take a salsa, you take, you got some tomatoes, and you take out some onions, you got some cilantro and other things, and you put them together, you chop them all up, and you get something new that's fresh, that, that just kind of brings you to life. That's exactly what these pathways are. It's like all the ingredients, and you mix them together in a different way, and you've got a fresh, well-balanced, robust faith that's going to help you connect with God. Good times, bad times, outside, inside, in church, outside of church, Sunday, Monday and on. I love that because that's what we need. We need a faith that's not just for one day a week, but every single day. You know, the other day um, I was having uh, dinner with the family and uh, I was talking, uh, just kind of hanging out with Jackie for a little bit. Then my daughter comes running and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, I am hungry. I go, okay. So I'm looking over at the table. We haven't cleaned up yet. And her table, her, her plate has, still has like green beans on it and some chicken. I'm like, oh, well, sweetie, look, you still got, you still got food on your plate. Why don't you go ahead and uh, eat that up and you'll be, you'll be set. And she looks at me and goes, Daddy, I'm hungry for fudge sickles. And I'm thinking, then you're really not hungry. You just, you just want a fudge sickle, right? And, and so, you know, a lot of times I think our approach to faith is kind of like that fudge sickle approach where, like, we kind of do what's easy, what comes natural. If, if you're an intellectual, maybe that's what, you, what your faith is. It's just about intellectually engaging with God. If, if you're a naturalist, it's just about being outside because it's easy. It's what we do. It's what we've always done. And it, it kind of makes sense to us. But sometimes when we, have, when we don't see these other ingredients, we sometimes miss out on some unique ways that God wants to connect with us, that God wants to connect with us and draw us closer to him. See, we can't have a fudge-sickle faith where it's just about one or two things, but really God has a whole gamut of things. He wants us to embrace all these ingredients so we can make not just salsa, but sal salsa. Amen? Amen? Amen. Why don't you all stand with me? We are going to worship... We're going to sing a hymn, which kind of embraces the intellectual side, but it's a hymn about God's created order, which brings the naturalist. We're going to mash these up together. That's one of the things I love about the hymns, is they're holistic. They kind of bring the best of both worlds together. I want to pray for us. And my prayer for you is that you would connect with God in some fresh ways this summer. That this summer you wouldn't be checking out, but you'd actually be going deeper. So Spirit of God, I just ask you to come right now. I ask you to anoint my brothers and sisters. I right now want to just pray.
permission right now. Because I think for some of you, you've had this sense that there's only one way for you to connect with God. And I just want to break that off right now, that there's a variety of ways to connect with God. Also, right now, I'm going to pray, Jesus, that you would just give fresh revelation. That you would help us to see, uh, not just with physical eyes, but spiritual eyes. Help us see what you're doing, how you're working all things out for your creation, Jesus. I pray against fear. And Lord, I pray against discouragement if we said, you know, I tried that before and it didn't work. God, I pray for a new experience that would be better than before. I pray against any attacks that the enemy might use to discourage us, to keep us from focusing in on you, God. Because really, at the end of the day, it's not about the pathway. It's about the destination, which is to embrace you. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come seal the work that you're doing here right now. I pray for new life, a fresh encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.